And the kind of policies and programs you all are advocating for is not exactly the kind of headline splashes politicians are, are trying to make these days. That is unless, as you're just kind of alluding to, it's an election year and they want that badge to point to to their voting base. So what does it look like to actually urge politicians to back these kinds of bills and initiatives um, when sometimes it doesn't seem like it, maybe it matters to them at all? Yeah. Welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation. We know that conversations matter. So each week we are grinding through the critical research to bring you the best stories and resources of people doing groundbreaking and innovative work in renewing God's world. I'm Andy Hale, your CBF Podcast host. And this year we're celebrating our seventh year of the podcast, bringing you even better interviews worth your time, attention, and collaboration. These episodes are not intended for you to listen to an island unto yourself. Get online, share your insights, thoughts, and feedback from the podcast with us on CBF's Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages. We also want you to join the CBF podcast community through our CBF podcast listener support page at cbf.net backslash podcast support. We see you, Pasadena, California, Louisville, Kentucky, Beaverton, Oregon, and Frankfurt, Germany. First-time listeners and long-time listeners, we are grateful you are here for the conversation. We want to give a special shout-out to some of our listener supporters, including Carson Fushi, Caroline Bell, Cindy Foldenlore, Trip Hawthorne, Carla Mike Wick, and that generous anonymous donor that keeps giving in honor of CBF Crump. And before we move on, we want to give a word of gratitude to our annual sponsors, including Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. This podcast is presented to you by Central Seminary a historic Baptist seminary founded in Kansas that now is diverse, cross-cultural, and ecumenical with a significant global footprint. Leading with the values of community, empathy, growth, and tenacity, Central Seminary equips students with the theological knowledge, spiritual insight, and practical skills needed to lead in an ever-changing world. We cultivate an inclusive, multi-language community of reflection where critical thinking and discernment are welcomed and encouraged. Central offers numerous graduate degrees and certificates, including Doctorate of Ministry in Creative Leadership, Master of Arts in Counseling, Certificates in Chaplaincy Studies, and Peace and Justice Ministries, and much more. Most programs are offered fully online. To learn more, visit cbts.edu or search for Central Seminary Kansas City. Well, welcome to the CBF Podcast Conversation here at General Assembly in Dallas, Texas. For those joining us in the gathering place and for the folks that are joining us online, we know that conversations matter, and that's why this week we have grinded through the critical research to bring you the best stories and people to have amazing conversations. The General Assembly Podcast Stage is sponsored by Good Faith Media and CBF Benefits Board. We're also brought to you by the Clergy Confessions Podcast, a new series coming in August of 2022. Listen to ministers sharing truly awful experiences in anonymity. Our guest is Reverend Eugene Cho, the president and CEO of Bread for the World. Uh, before his work in Washington, D.C., Eugene was the founding pastor of Quest Church in Seattle, Washington, an urban, multicultural, and multi-generational congregation. He's also the author of Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk, A Christian's Guide to Engaging Politics. 
Eugene, thank you for joining the conversation. Hey, thanks so much for having me. This is, uh, this is new, a live podcast, but I'm really excited to be here with you. Now, we last had you on the podcast in March of 2020. Uh, you were about to move from West Coast to East Coast. The pandemic happened. Anything to report in the last two years? Nothing's happened in our country in the last <laughs> two years. It's been a very boring two years. And uh, earlier when you and I was, we were hanging out, you had mentioned two years, and I couldn't believe that it's been two years since that podcast. And I think it's, it's a, a testament that uh, so much has happened. And, and, and you know, all kidding aside, uh, these are challenging, difficult, uh, chaotic times. Uh, and uh, for that reason, I'm so grateful to be with fellow pastors and leaders. As challenging as it is, we need pastors to lead with great compassion, uh, a conviction of mercy, of justice, uh, uh, with our eyes gazed on Jesus during these times. So uh, again, I can't believe it's been two plus years, but grateful to be back with you for this podcast. So you stepped away from the church you founded and pastored for several decades, you know, and then the pandemic hit and you've been in this work of advocacy. Um, what do you miss most about, about that work, about pastoring? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I, I miss everything. I, I, you know, I think at the heart, I'm always going to be a pastor. My vocation, uh, the context in which God is calling me to serve him as a minister is different, but my calling as a pastor has never changed. And I think for all of us here who are called into ministry, our context and seasons may change, but I think our caller and our calling as ministers are always going to be the same. For me, what I miss the most are the sacred moments of pastoral care. Mm. Um, you know, I still get to preach at churches and pulpits, I'm making executive decisions, collaborating and ideating, but it's the sacred moments of being at the hospitals when a child is born, uh, by a grave uh, when you're putting someone's physical body to rest. Uh, those are the moments, hard, but also incredibly sacred. And uh, um, truly, uh, just my love and respect to all the pastors right now who are leading during such challenging times. So Bread for the World is a, a collective Christian voice who, who work to urge our nation's best decision makers to end hunger at home and around the world by changing policies and programs that allow hunger to persist. That, that's a big shift from pastoring a local congregation. Walk us through your sense of, of calling to, to bread mm -hmm. and how you've been affirmed in that sense of calling uh, to shift. Again, you're still a pastor at heart, but that sure, shift, sure. shift in the last two years. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because for the years that I've been a pastor, I had the privilege of flying into D.C. or going to my state capital in Olympia, Washington, invited uh, by organizations to speak. And they were basically fly-in advocacy, things that I cared about, but again, flying in a handful of times. And the calling at Bread for the World is very different because advocacy is our mission and our calling. It's breakfast, lunch, and dinner 24-7 every single day. Our calling is to be persistent in advocacy. So it is very different. But if I were to walk back a little bit, there's probably two or three things that led me to this shift, if you will, in context and calling. Number one, I think, is theologically, I've always believed in a whole gospel mission that Jesus saves and that Jesus is also at work in the world, redeeming and reconciling, restoring things. 
And so we know that the call on the ministry of justice work, compassion, justice, hunger alleviation, poverty work, has always been part of the gospel mission. And I believe that's also central uh, theologically to CBF as well. It's not peripheral, it's not tertiary, it's not an elective, it's part of what we believe. And so I've always believed that. Secondly, it's always been personal to me as well. Uh, as a young family early on, 20 years ago when we were about to plant the church, things didn't quite go as we had planned on our Excel sheet. And the next thing you know, my wife and I, and then our two young children, uh, no income, no benefits, no uh, health insurance. And so we relied on something called the WIC program, the Women, Infant, and Children. And so we experienced for ourselves the safety net of these government programs that really helped us during that difficult time. And then I would also say that I, I grew up in a family uh, with my parents and my grandparents who experienced global hunger. My father was born in what is now called North Korea, experienced extreme hunger. And so had it not been the generosity of Christians along the way who assisted him, so it's always been personal, and I've always looked for the opportunity as a believer and as a leader to give back, uh, again, not as a secondary, tertiary thing. And then lastly, I would say, the reason why I really believe in the impact of Bread for the World is, yes, we care about the one individual, the one family, but we also have the opportunity with these legislative decisions uh, one victory, two victories have the possibility of impacting hundreds of thousands and actually tens of millions of people with one signature on a legislation. Hmm. And that's the work that Bread for the World is engaged with in partnership with so many, including CBF. Well, let's, let's go right there. I mean, urging decision makers in Washington can't be an easy task, uh, especially when it comes to economic and environmental policies. What is Bread's strategy for breaking through the walls of political yeah. division and special interests yeah. more specifically? So in some ways right now, I wish there was a, a video zooming on your face as you asked that question because you smirked at least three times <laughs> asking that question. And I think I also smirked twice nervously. <laughs> I mean, so let's, let's just be honest and candid. These are really difficult, challenging times. Uh, I've not lived in D.C. for a long time, and in fact, I'm still living in Seattle because of the pandemic, but everyone that I speak to that has worked in D.C. or in that context has shared that there's never been a time that they can think of that's been as abrasive and polarizing as this time now. And I don't think we have to be political scientists to know that. All we have to do is open up the news or read the newspapers, and we know that there's something going on in our nation and world. Now, having said that, I, I would say that our strategy is several fold. Number one is, as a Christian faith organization, uh, we, we rely on prayer. We rely on the Holy Spirit. We rely on, on wisdom and guidance. Uh, we're not just relying on the equivalence of chariots and horses. We're, we're believing that God cares 
about our nation. God cares about the nations. God cares about the world. God especially cares about those who are vulnerable and marginalized. So we really believe that God cares about the work that we're doing. And in fact, our call to this is not human-made. It's in response to the gospel. And that's the first thing is I think we have a, a sense of a, a spiritual grounding, if you will. Uh, the second thing is uh, our commitment as a value, as a conviction, that we're a nonpartisan organization working in bipartisan ways. Mm. Easier said than done, but for us it means that our allegiance is not to a person or to a party, but ultimately to the person of Jesus embodied in the gospel, especially demonstrated in compassion, mercy, and justice. And so we take that posture in every single meeting that we have with members of Congress, with agencies in the United States, and even global agencies. And then certainly, even as we work along with others as well. The last thing that I'll just say is, yes, we're based in DC, but we're also a nationwide grassroots organization. That's the reason why our partnership with CBF, the local church pastor, uh, with other churches and denominations is so important because when I'm having a meeting with a particular senator, and I'll give you a real story, a real example, without mentioning names here. <laughs> that was going to be my so next question. <laughs> I'm having this meeting with a senator, important senator, high standing in a particular office, and I could tell it was a Zoom meeting, so his attention was all over the place. He probably did not know that we could see him fidgeting with his phone on the Zoom call, and it was my turn to speak. There was about eight CEOs of organizations from around the country doing international NGO work. And it, when it was my turn to speak, respectfully, I said, Senator so-and-so, I represent Bread for the World, a collective Christian organization advocating for the end to hunger. We have X amount of churches and X amount of members in your specific district. And when I mentioned those numbers, he then, at that moment, this is not an exaggeration, he looked at the Zoom camera and he began to listen. And so our strategy is, and this is the reason why our partnerships with CBF and pastors matter, that yes, we have credibility in DC, but it's the fact that we have these authentic, genuine relationships uh, on the ground that really do matter in the political process. And the kind of policies and programs you all are advocating for is not exactly the kind of headline splashes politicians are, are trying to make these days. That is unless, as you're just kind of alluding to, it's an election year and they want that marriage badge to point to, to their voting base. So what does it look like to actually urge politicians to back these kinds of bills and initiatives um, when sometimes it doesn't seem like mine, it, maybe it matters to them at all. Yeah. So, you know, I think the first thing that I want to say is I, I'm not here in any way to dehumanize or demonize politicians. I think, if I can just be honest, there are some that I'm really concerned about. They feel really fringe, are saying and doing things. But on the most part, I look at our elected leaders, they're public servants. Uh, and I think there's a, a level of honor and respect that we should give. They have a difficult job. They have what I think could all, oftentimes feel like an impossible job. And, and so that's the first thing that I will say. 
And I also want to acknowledge that there's a lot. In fact, in the last two years coming into this role, I, I have not truly understood the amount of requests and petitions that are coming through their doors. And oftentimes, it's the subject du jour at that moment that captures their attention. And part of the reason why I think Bread for the World matters so much is that because we are headline readers, and oftentimes our attention goes to those things, it's the suffering or the injustice that's always there that oftentimes gets forgotten. And hunger, in my opinion, is one of those pervasive injustices and oppressive forces that oftentimes gets pushed back. That's the reason why we have to keep showing up. And yet we also know when we're talking about hunger, we're not just talking about Yemen or Tigray in Ethiopia or Afghanistan. Now obviously those things are real issues. We're also talking about men, women, and children in the pews of CBF churches right now, right? Because of the stigma around hunger, sometimes we don't know that there are actual women, men, children, families within our own congregations. That was certainly the case in my congregation. Headquartered in Ballard, Washington, known to be a fairly wealthy, yuppie-ish town, and yet we had numerous families impacted by hunger that relied on SNAP and WIC and, and what have you. And so I would say it's really building a relationship with our members of Congress. That's really important. Build a relationship, and we can do this in a couple of ways. The most important way that I would say, and I'm biased, is build a relationship with Bread for the World so that we can walk alongside you, your congregation, your ministry, and assist you in building that relationship with members of Congress. Uh, including hosting an offering of letters every single year and sometimes a couple times a year we encourage churches as a means of discipleship to host an offering of letters in their congregation so that people engage what it means to be good um, civic members of our nation um, I don't know about you but I think we're living in a time right now where people are becoming so cynical about politics, and this is a way for people to get involved, get engaged, and to take some actions around fighting hunger. This podcast is presented to you by CBF Church Benefits. At CBB, your benefits are our ministry. For 25 years, CBF Church Benefits has proudly served the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, providing retirement benefits and insurance services for CBF-affiliated church ministries and staff, along with CBF field personnel in Atlanta and around. CBB helps simplify the administrative burdens of your retirement plan, allowing you and your ministry staff to focus on your... CBB can also help you maintain your overall benefit package, including life and disability benefit and international medical insurance for international missions. Through generous philanthropic support, CBF Church Benefits recently launched the Financial Wellness Initiative. This new initiative offers ministers the opportunity to receive financial relief grants, financial education experience, and financial planning services. Please visit CBF Church Benefits website at churchbenefits.org to learn more about CBB, our benefits, and the financial wellness opportunities designed to help you thrive in your mission and ministry. 
Since 2016, CBF has brought you over 100 episodes of interviews with authors and practitioners for conversations that matter. These stories of creativity and innovation have garnered weekly support from around the United States and the world. We are inviting you, the listeners, to join us in connecting with the podcast. Become a monthly listener supporter and receive some perks, including name recognition on the podcast, questions for upcoming guests, free books from the podcast, joining the podcast for an interview, and a VIP experience with the General Assembly podcast guest. There are five levels of listener support, starting at $5 per month. For less than the cost of a pumpkin spice latte, you will be featured by name on the weekly podcast episode. For more information and to join the community of listener supporters, visit cbf.net slash podcast support. This episode is brought to you by Youth Theology Network. Youth Theology Network is your resource for helping high school students take their next most faithful step. Their online hub will provide you with resources for and by leaders helping high school youth discover their purpose. 100 plus vocational discernment programs across the U.S. to help students explore their call and impact stories to remind you of why this work matters. Like you, Youth Theology Network is dedicated to seeing students live out their purpose, passion, and calling. Connect with us to learn more on how you can partner together to support the next generation of leaders by following us on Facebook or Instagram or by visiting youththeologynetwork.org. That's youththeologynetwork.org. What are some of the, the bills and policies you all are working towards right now that you would want our audience to be aware of? So there's a couple things that come to mind. Uh, let me begin with international. And I would say that right now there are some pressing things happening right now. Uh, Bread for the World, we introduced a global nutrition resolution about three years ago. It was one of the most bipartisan resolutions. Lots of members of Congress signed it. And then last year, we introduced an actual legislative bill called the Global Malnutrition Prevention and Treatment Act. It's a five-year strategic bill that really calls our government to prioritize malnutrition as one of the priorities. Here's why. Every 11 seconds, a child in this world dies because of the complexities of malnutrition. We have the solutions for it. We have the data, the science, the research behind it. We just need the resources and the will in, in a sense, and America can't do it all by ourselves, but we're asking this government, this country, to play this vital leadership role in doing this. And as you and I both know, uh, because of COVID, because of climate, because of conflict, because of rising costs, the numbers of those who are experiencing hunger, malnutrition, uh, wasting, stunting, has skyrocketed in the last two years. So that's number one. Call your members of, of, of Congress in the Senate. It's passed overwhelmingly on the House side, and we celebrated that about two months ago. It's now sitting on the Senate, and we're, we're asking people, contact your members on the Senate. Ask them to support the GMPTA, the Global Malnutrition Prevention and Treatment Act. Uh, we actually have a website for those at CBF. It's go.bread.org slash cbf and it's a special link for our cbf friends to check it out go.bread.org slash cbf and it'll give instructions that's one of the things that we're advocating for right now on the domestic side um, 
you know, had we had this conversation a week ago, we would have urged people to help work with us to reach their members of Congress to reauthorize child nutrition. Thankfully, last week that got passed. Really tremendous great news because it means that children who don't have access to meals over the summer are going to have access to, to food. So right now, the two things that we're advocating for is the child tax credit. Still, even though it's kind of basically, quote unquote, dead in the waters, our motto is we got to be persistent. And we know that the child tax credit matters. It has an impact. For the one year that it was instituted, it reduced childhood hunger 24% wow. in this nation. So that would be one that we would be encouraging people to do. Uh, last thing that I'll just say is, Sometimes people get really intimidated by advocacy because I don't know the statistics, I don't know the, the Senate bill, I don't know what GMPTA is. That's why Bread for the World says, hey, we want to partner with you. We want to work with you, not just as a denomination, but local churches that are here, let us partner with you because we need to build the choir to amplify the voice of dignifying and elevating the plight of people in our nation and around the world that are struggling with hunger. Yeah, I think for some people, there's a certain fear too in regards to how to get involved in politics uh, as it relates to faith. You know, as Baptists, we are firm believers in the separation of church and state. Let me clarify, we are cooperative Baptists. Not all Baptists believe necessarily in religious freedom for all people, but as people of faith, there's a delicate balance of working alongside government to push for laws that benefit our convictions, even the convictions of, of loving our neighbor as yourself. So how do you walk that tight line of religious freedom and religious conviction as it relates to, to governmental policy? It's great. Next question? No, just kidding. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I think you asked what I consider to be the million-dollar question. Because even though we would espouse, and I agree with you, the separation of church and state, I think we can also acknowledge that theologically we're also encouraging people, hey, what does it mean to be light and salt? What does it mean to work for the common good? And at Bread for the World, whenever we're meeting with members of Congress, we encourage people to bring their authentic story as they come into these meetings. So two weeks ago, we hosted about 150 of our Bread members and pastors from around the nation in D.C. And many of the members of Congress that they're meeting with, some of them, many of them identify as believers or as Christians. And so I'm not exactly sure if there's a scientific data of what that looks like. I think we can acknowledge, though, that our desire is that we want to advocate for justice, for compassion, for mercy because it's not just a biblical thing, a theological thing. We also believe that it espouses the common good that benefits all people. Like hunger in itself is not a partisan issue, right? It doesn't just affect red states, blue states. It doesn't just affect Baptists or Presbyterians. It impacts all people, faith or non-faith based. And we believe that a flourishing society is not possible when people don't have the proper food, access to food, and the right nutrition to allow them to flourish. Hmm. Let's, let's talk about partnerships. We were talking about this before. You know, you've you got a diversity of faith-based groups coming to the table. H how do you manage the theological and religious 
diversity, but along with that, religious groups, the political tension that exists right now as you bring all these people to a table? Man, again, you know, I'm smirking because I, I think in many ways this is the question that a lot of us are asking. One of the reasons why I think CBF is so unique, I know it's not a denomination, it's a fellowship, is seeking to build this large tent during a time, let's be honest, when it feels like what people are doing is who's with me and who's against me, and we're building up walls constantly. So in many ways, what CBF is doing is truly countercultural not just in the larger culture, but actually within the culture of Christendom. And I think Bread for the World has always, always sought to build a large tent. And the reason why is because it's absolutely essential for us in our desire to be powerful, effective, is to have a large choir of people. The origin story of Bread for the World, it began in New York, with a group of Protestant pastors and Catholic priests coming together, and as they were sharing stories about hunger, they began to realize that, again, it wasn't just in one camp or the other, and that they needed to come together to amplify their story and the stories of people within their congregations who were experiencing themselves those hunger. They wanted to be able to, again, provide direct relief, church pantries, food banks, all of that matters. And, and we affirm that and we celebrate that. But they began to realize that they needed to get to the root causes in some ways to kind of go upstream because we were so obsessed with, with what was happening downstream, right? You've heard the analogy, you gotta, you gotta give people fish and then people realize, no, we gotta teach them how to fish. But as they were doing this work, they began to realize, why do these problems exist to begin with? Why do some people have access to the river and others don't? Why do certain communities of color have higher rates of hunger than others? And so that's how Bread for the World really began to come about, is really taking these causes and issues from the local place, grassroots, where there's strength and voice, and taking it to the decision makers in Capitol Hill. And so it's been incredibly successful as a result of encouraging pastors, denominations, and fellowships to say, we're going to focus on this one main thing. And the one main thing is because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we're called to help end hunger in our nation and around the world. That focus has been very instrumental and will continue to do that and leaving people space to acknowledge that we're coming from different theological camps. There's room and space, why? Because we know that hunger exists in every single one of our churches, camps, tribes, denominations, fellowships, and the like. So last, last question about bread. Okay. Um, you've, you've alluded to this uh, throughout the conversation, but local churches. How, how are uh, churches that are connecting with y'all, partnering with y'all, denominational level, but also local church level, what are the practical things they can do to get involved with your work um, as it comes to, to advocacy, to uh, doing work in their community to end hunger? What, what are some of the best practices you've yeah. seen? So I'm going to just list off a handful of things. Number one, I would say, is um, check us out on bread.org. And the reason why I say that is because um, I want people to come to our site to know the depth and the robustness of the work that we do. So it's not just meetings on the hill. 
It's the relationships that we're building. It's the policy analysis that we're working on. It's white papers and research papers that we're working on. I mean, there's a reason why Bread for the World has tremendous credibility in DC and around the country because of the depth and robustness of the work that we do. The second thing that I would say is um, let's build a relationship. And the best way to build a relationship is I want to connect you with the organizers that we have at Bread for the World. We've got organizers around the country, including a few that are with me here uh, in the live audience. But uh, we want people to know that we want to come alongside pastors and leaders as they shepherd and lead their congregations. It's complex. It's challenging. And that's the reason why we wouldn't want any of our CBF leaders to know that they're out on their own, but we've got our organizers who are willing to come alongside them. The third thing is, as we build a relationship, it's really the opportunity to host an offering of letters. I did that as a pastor at Quest Church. Every single year, we made that part of our church service. We invited our children, our youth, our young adults, our entire congregation to say, as part of what it means to be light and salt is that we're called to be good civic citizens in this nation to let them know that they have a voice in democracy. And as much as we might not think this is the case, our voices do matter, especially as we connect with our members of Congress. And the last thing that I'll just say is we would love to encourage people to consider you know, supporting us by praying, by acting, offering of letters, and then certainly by giving as well. You know, I'm not timid in encouraging people, consider partnering with Bread for the World financially because when they give, whether it's $10 a month, $20 a month, a church might give $100 a month, that enables us to keep doing the work that we're doing with the kind of excellence in our research and analysis, our policy building, our coalition building, but also it enables all of these meetings that we're having uh, in the support of the Global Malnutrition Prevention and Treatment Act. When it passes, and not if, in prayer I say when it passes, it's made possible because our organizers, our government relations team, we hosted over 300 plus meetings with members of Congress. That takes persistence and work, and so people's partnership with Bread allows that to take place. So I've, I've thrown some tough ones at you. Go for it. Let's do it. I've got... These are the CBF podcast, five critical questions that I have to end our conversation. All right. Okay. Number one, where would you like to travel to next? Oh, geez. This is a great question. My answer is not super unoriginal for me. It's, I, I, I got to go back to my, my homeland uh, where I was born in, in South Korea. It's been a long time, and so I want to go back and visit some a family and friends that are there, so at some point, that's my hope. But if CBF is sending me, I'll say Italia. <laughs> All right, this one's going to be tough. This is probably tougher than the question I asked earlier about political division. Okay. Who has the best coffee in Seattle? Oh, geez, man. So this is, this is a complex question. <laughs> no, here's, why. here's why. I actually ran a coffee shop and a music venue in Seattle many, many years ago. Did that for about 12 years. And so I would have said Q Cafe. Uh, that's the coffee shop that we ran. It was one of three all-ages music venues 
in Seattle, Washington, and we also serve coffee. Uh, it's not Starbucks. Um, I got sued by Starbucks once. That's a different podcast. <laughs> we'll save that for another time. Uh, but for me, I would say that there's a, there's a local joint called Victrola Coffee. And that would be my choice for the best coffee in Seattle, Victrola Coffee. Uh, you heard it here on the CBF podcast. It's small G gospel. Yeah. You don't own public offerings in that company or anything? No, no, okay. no, All right. no. All right. If you could only read one book for the rest of your life and the Bible cannot be used as an answer, what would it be? Only one book the rest of your life. That's the only thing you can pick up and read. Man, I was about to say the Bible in Hebrew and Greek before you stole my answer. <laughs> I mean, so I know it sounds like a facetiously spiritual answer, but my go-to book right now would probably be the answer. And my go-to book is, it's a book entitled The Anthology of MLK Sermons. Hmm. Um, if you don't have it, you can get one. It's a fairly robust book. But it's an anthology, and again, it allows me to read one sermon, one talk, kind of once a week, and it's been incredibly uplifting. The challenging thing about this anthology is that what was written 30 or so years ago feels so applicable, apropos, and prophetic, maybe even more so right now. I feel so selfish. My answer is J.R.R. Tolkien's Lord of the Rings Two Towers, but... That's good. It's good. No one's judging you. Okay. Sparkling Except or plain her. Uh, sparkling yeah. or plain water. O OG original. Oh, okay. All right. All right. Last one. Do you have a hidden talent and what is it? Man. I'm nervous that once I answer this like confetti will fall down and you're going to make <laughs> me perform here. Um, you know, I it's not a hidden talent, but you know, one of my goals in life is to be a professional fisherman, a bass fisherman, uh, and to be sponsored by CBF. I, I, have a, <laughs> I have a logo spot. I have a logo spot on my fishing vest. Um, if if your president Paul, the executive director, makes it happen, yeah. But uh, it's one of my um, it's my Sabbath rest Shabbat routine. And I'm also pretty good at it. And so if you do sponsor me, we might go far. Who All knows? Right. Let's make a deal. Well, I'll fly to Seattle. I'll bring you a CBF patch. And then we'll go fly fishing in the many wonderful rivers in the state of Washington. Sounds good. So, Sounds good. Eugene, thank you for making time to have this conversation. Super busy. But uh, more importantly, thank you for your continued prophetic and pastoral leadership as we seek to love our neighbors in real and authentic yeah. ways. I'm gonna say one thing, and it's really just thank you. I want folks here to know that the partnership that Bread has with CBF, it's not new. It's been ongoing really since the inception of CBF, and so I wanna make sure that when people partner and invest and pray with CBF, you're also being a part of this partnership, so thank you very much. And don't forget to check out Clergy Confessions Podcast, a new series coming in August 2022. Listen to ministers sharing truly awful experiences in anonymity. Visit clergyconfessions.com. We need to pause to tell you about one of our annual sponsors, Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Have you ever wanted to study the life and teachings of Baptist ministers whose work in civil and human rights changed the world? Have you ever wanted to read and watch other speeches given by Dr. King? 
Are you concerned of the way King's life, teachings, and legacy are used by contemporary political and religious leaders? Are you a local pastor or church leader and want to take an evening course at a seminary? Apply today to audit the life and theology of Martin Luther King Jr. at Baptist Seminary of Kentucky, taught by Dr. Lewis Brogdon. Visit bsk.edu backslash mlk to learn more. Okay, that's it. That's our conversation. If you want more, be sure to subscribe to CBF Podcast on all major platforms, including iTunes, Amazon Music, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Podcast. Don't forget to like and share this episode on your favorite social media platform. Be sure to support our annual sponsors by visiting their websites. Again, that's Central Seminary, the CBF Church Benefits, and the Baptist Seminary of Kentucky. Check out cbf.net for more information about church starters, field personnel, advocacy work, and much more. And, uh, oh yeah, I think we mentioned that you should uh, join the listener support community at cbf.net backslash podcast support.